Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's 100 acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer hi i'm brews news editor matt kirkegaard and that's just what we're here to do talk about beer or this week beer hospitality and we asked the question whether that's even a thing or if it's just hospitality these days we speak with miles hull who i think can fairly be regarded as an industry veteran these days in the hospitality space formerly trained in hotel management in switzerland miles held a range of positions in hotels and even a canadian brew pub in the late 1990s before returning to australia where he worked as food and beverage manager for the sydney olympic games organizing committee His next role was as Head of Creative Development and Marketing, Founding General Manager Hospitality, for a little brewing startup you may have heard of called Little Creatures back in 2000. I still regard Little Creatures as one of the most influential hospitality venues in the brewing industry and a venue that most brew pubs open today could still trace their DNA back to. He is currently general manager of his own hospitality group in Perth with three venues and a fourth, a brew pub, to open later this year. As the brewing industry matures and changes, the quality and thoughtfulness of the hospitality that breweries offer is increasingly as important, if not more so, than the beer. That makes this very thoughtful and thought-provoking conversation with Miles a must-listen to for anyone running or thinking of opening a brew pub. I hope you enjoy it and learn as much from it as I did. Miles Hull. Welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Cheers, Matt. Now, we have spoken, and we have spoken on and off, Mike, but uh, this is certainly a, a long overdue conversation, um, I, I have to say. So, pleased to be in Perth and uh, having a chat to you. Uh, is that because I'm getting long in the tooth now? No, experience, <laughs> Matt, experience. Yeah. So, I, I, I had the, well, speaking of which, I had the situation this week where I sent out a tweet about Red Oak in Sydney oh. that's closing, and uh Realised that the first paid beer article I wrote was about Red Oak, yeah. um, and that was 17 years ago. Yeah, wow. And I'd been writing for some period before then, but uh, so we're all getting a little bit. Well, not all of <laughs> you and I are getting along in a tooth. We've got a generation coming behind, and uh, fortunately, they're making beer very, very exciting as they do. I didn't, I didn't know Red Oak was still open actually, but uh, yeah, oh, but that uh, is. Yeah, have you been there? Because again, there there are a couple of places in. Australia that really, when you go back to that period, did something really different with beer that I thought was going to be the way forward for beer, you know, serving beer with a culture and a reverence and the styles that David was making, but then the way that they used a different beer glass, the knowledge that their staff had, the beer and food serving, which is where I thought beer was going to go. And we just didn't go down that way. No, and I'm kind of glad beer never did because I I think beer is a product that is a good common denominator and it's not something that I think needs to be elevated. I think beer is something you drink. So you like beer as the every everyday 
drink. It, it shouldn't have the wine. I mean, obviously, you've got different yeah. types of beer, and you can sit. You and I, as we have done, we can sit and talk about the nuances of all, all sorts of beers. But I think at the end of the day, beers place is about um, providing something to enjoy while you're catching up and socialising with people. I, I, for sure, you can sit down and you can get technical about beer, but I, I don't think beers that. That's beer's place. I think beer should just be enjoyed. It should be the background of the conversation, not Absolutely. the topic of it's conversation. It's the medium for the conversation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I might have to change but, my podcast name. <laughs> but Red Oak did do a great job way back then to introduce beer as a serious beverage yeah. and a beverage that wasn't just something you sw- swilled and you ordered as uh, either, you know, here in WA at least, you ordered um, super unleaded. That was basically okay. at the bar. <laughs> okay. One was full strength, one was mid-strength. Okay. You didn't really care what they were going to pour you. That's because we were just drinking lagers. There yep. was no choice. Yeah. That was the only choice. So, But what Red Oak did is introduce and say, hey, you can be serious and you can elevate it. And look, Chuck Hahn travelled Australia there for a long time doing his beer dinners he and did. matching. And that was a big part of James Squire when they first opened too. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think there's a place for that, but I don't think it should be called a beer. Wine can take that territory, I think, okay. and beer can be... Is there different. a place for a venue that does it? Because the thing, and maybe it was the time and place when we were coming from beer just being, you just ordered heavy or mid, it, you know, whatever came out of the tap was fine. You know, you might have had your state allegiance or your tribal allegiance to a brand, but yeah. really in a blind tasting, you wouldn't tell the difference. No. And then they came along with a venue like that and there was glassware and knowledge and food pairings and, you know, there was just something that was really reverent and elegant about it. Um, and, and I like that. And um, Kira Lee Walton, um, yep. you know, was somebody who really clued me, you know, in, in the early days when conversations about, um, you know, uh, engagement and, you know, making beer equal um, for everybody and having, you know, a, a lot more inclusion in, in, in the industry. She used to talk about, you know, the coming back from the bar with the clutch claw of, you know, four schooners that are yeah. slopping over the sides. It's on the bench, you know, um, you know, culture male behavior. You just rolled your sleeve up and sort of lent into it, got your forearms sticky on, 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 on the bench and, you know, you didn't worry about it if it splashed on your shoes. No, no. Because they were leather anyway yeah, or yeah. They were whatever. But there was something that was exclusively blokey about that because yes. – and Kiralee was one who said you couldn't put your handbag on a bench on top because – It's sticky and – Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you've got a nice dress and all, and all of those sorts of things. And beer, beer was just to be swilled and you yeah. didn't need to think about it. And, yeah. and don't get me wrong. I, I, I think there's lots to think about beer and I think – that is what has absolutely has changed in um, in the market at the moment as people really consider beer and consider not just the label but what they're drinking and the style. Like You can talk to people generally on the street about a pale ale or a lager and they'll know that there's some difference. Yep. 20 years ago, you certainly couldn't do that when Red Oak was starting and I think it was all part of it. And I do think there are absolutely places that, should exist and can exist to, to continue that and elevate beer. And I think there's some good examples of that around still. But I don't think, generally speaking, we need to take it too seriously. Okay, okay. Conversely, I also say, you know, we take beer seriously, but not ourselves. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Which is why that I, I pull that out. Now, we've gone down a rabbit hole <laughs> out of the box, which is good, but we've actually framed the conversation in, 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 a, in, in a nice way then because... 
Let's go back and talk about your career. How did you get into beer? Now, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, and the first entry is 1995 to 96, a one-year management trainee at the Langham Hilton in London, UK. In London, yep. W- w- was there a, a story behind that that you haven't included in your LinkedIn bio? Or uh, No, I, I I was a bit one-dimensional at school. I actually only wanted to do hospitality for whatever reason uh, since I was young. I had a bit of a change in mind at some stage in my teens to maybe become a farmer, which couldn't be further <laughs> okay. from being, being a hospo person, but I just always loved hospitality. Well, I, you're still outstanding in your field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry. So maybe tribute I should to, a tribute to Pete Mitchum on that one. Um, but no, I, I actually had the good fortune. I went and studied overseas mm-hmm. uh, hospitality in Switzerland, and um, I was there for a few years and uh, graduated from that and studied hotel management actually, um, which was very F and B based. Yeah. Um, and that was in the early mid nineties, and coming out of that. Uh, wanted to go and work in London for a while, so ended up in a an old sort of school hotel, five star hotel, working there. If you're doing hotel management training in in Switzerland, yeah, can you draw any main themes that they taught you? You know, like these are the five commandments of hotel management or hospitality that that you learnt coming from a precision Swiss. Well, the the the, the Swiss are very. <laughs> It's not too much humour in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. They're they're very they're rigid. Uh, they like rules yep. and uh, they like sticking by them. And so that was big foundation was discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that through uni you had to be present, you had to be clean shaven, you had to look smart. So it's all about those fundamentals of hospitality. Very uncrafty, you know. So very uncrafty. <laughs> yeah. uh, I got kicked out of a, a, an exam once for being unshaven, uh, even. So wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not. The neatest person around, but you had to comply. So, and and then they had a big F and B. Their their whole backbone was um, cooking and food mm. and beverage. That was, I guess, the the main fundamentals behind that. And if you start with F and B, then everything else can follow. Hotel rooms, etc. Mm-hmm. So, I had a particular interest in food and beverage, I have to say, uh, and worked in hotels for a little while in London, uh, and then. Uh, had a real distaste for how um, old and clumsy big old five-star hotels were. They are very set in their ways. Everything was run by committee. This is the way we've always done it. Couldn't change anything. Exactly. And I found that really frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was actually on – I was back in Perth uh, and I went on a holiday and I stopped over in Vancouver and – Jumped off the plane in Vancouver in about 1997, I think it was, and went for a wander and stumbled across a brew pub uh, called Steamworks Brewing Co. Mm-hmm. in Gastown and went into there and had my first ever hop-driven ale uh, and just was struck by it completely. And I thought, this was amazing. They had a little brewery. It was a two-level venue, a little brewery downstairs. You could... It had no windows, it was in a basement and they were brewing and it was like suffocating the wort and the smells and aroma and I'd never had that before. So experienced a little bit through Matilda Bay and WA obviously but yep. uh, really this the, these IPAs that were all about this bitter, amazingly floral, citrusy, fruity hop characters just blew me away and uh, I was hooked from there. So did that 
then sets you on a path because very soon after that, in fact, uh, you know, looking at your bio, um, 2000, you were the head of creative development and marketing, founding general manager hospitality at Little Creatures Brewing, um, which started in 2000, probably in planning around 1999. Yeah, yep. So I was in Vancouver. I ended up um, moving to Vancouver and uh, got a job actually. I was a, a dog at a bone that got a job. Uh, running that brewery, uh, Steamworks, for, for two years. Okay. And because it was a big hospitality venue. Um, and for all the reasons I hated hotels, I loved this brew pub because it was new, cutting edge, doing really interesting things. The brewer was fascinating. And um, what could you bring from your classical training, you know, to use that, that, that chef definition, yeah. to this new world of brew pub hospitality? Well, I think in hospitality, you can if you if you're trained in a high level, in a fine dining level, it's easy to pull layers back mm-hmm. and simplify things and go more casual. That that's easy to do because the fundamentals are all the same. Okay, it's quite difficult if you start maybe just in a kiosk cafe at the beach, uh, and then you're trying to elevate yourself up to high end fine dining. That that's tricky. Okay, because you've got to learn different things. So I I learnt sort of at the top, I suppose. And I could pull stuff that was unnecessary, all the sort of sir and ma'am, that sort of stuff. You could pull that all off the side, take off the uniform, just get into some casual gear and and still deliver great service because mm-hmm. that's the fundamental. So I think that is always my belief in hospitality. The fundamentals have got to be there no matter what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. So how did, how did you come to leave and looking at your bio not long after leaving uh steamworks you came to work for the the team at little creatures yeah i did i um i outran my visa in canada and despite all efforts a very australian was, thing to do uh, <laughs> i was politely asked to leave the country and return back to perth um where i got a part-time job at a little restaurant fine diner in the city that was owned uh, by nick trimboli mm-hmm. And Nick mentioned to me um, that he was opening a brewery with Phil Sexton um, and Phil's someone and even Nick I had in high regard as someone that always loved hospitality growing up in Perth, you know, um, dome cafes, um, the origins of Matilda Bay and the ALH group actually, mm-hmm. what became the ALH group with the Queen's Pub and Sailor Anchor. You know, these were all amazing places um, and really revolutionised hospitality in Perth. So I, I had a huge high regard for them and um, and obviously I'd just been running a brew pub uh, in Vancouver selling and dealing with exactly mm. the type of beer that Little Creatures was planning on making this pale ale. So there was a natural fit. I actually went to Sydney for a little while uh, in between but Nick, yeah, contacted me and said, hey, would you come over? And I jumped on a plane and um, I knew the site but I hadn't been in there and Nick took me in and showed me the scale and volume of the place. And like, I mean, I'd worked overseas and been through Europe and through the US when I was in Canada and seen breweries um, and lots of restaurants and bars, obviously, but had seen nothing like what was being proposed to Little Creatures and just thought that was amazing. Uh, kind of got it straight away. And uh, yeah, so got on board and, and worked for Nick and the team, the founders there, to open the hospitality side of things. Um, in Frio. There's some pretty heavy hitters. As you said, you've, you've, you've outlined their CVs from, from hospital. And they're, they're very smart, very astute, very forward thinking. Um, what did you learn from them? Um, given oh. you're, you're relatively 
minor experience compared to the, the things that they'd already achieved by that stage. Yeah, I was look, I was pretty young. I think I was 25, 26 when I got the gig to open Little Creatures as GM. Um, so I had everything to learn, really. I'd been running a few places, obviously in Canada, and worked in Sydney at a fairly big... I worked on the Olympics, actually, but that sort of only gave me foundation for what, what the guys were planning there. And big thing about what Little Creatures was doing was about the, developing a culture. It wasn't just opening a restaurant, a bar. It wasn't just brewing a beer. It was developing a brand that was going to be living and breathing. And beer hadn't done that at that stage, really, too much in Australia. Uh, wineries had, of course. You could travel down to a wine country uh, vineyard and go into their cellar door and you get a taste of how they do or how they make things, what they do and their brand and talk to the winemakers and but breweries until then, in, w, in WA at least anyway, and in most of the rest of the country were big red brick walls with chimneys coming out of them and mm. no romance at all and no understanding of of beer or how beer is made. No one really knew and beer was just beer. Like talking about those guys at the pub you are talking about and Kiralee not wanting to put a handbag yep. down. There was no thinking involved in drinking beer. It was just throw it back. Um, but this was introducing some thought and... You know, a bit like the Red Oak was just just bringing beer around to a new focus. I think the first time I walked in Little Creatures was 2004, 2005, and it was revolutionary for me. Like to, to walk in, having grown up in Queensland pubs that, that were pretty old and pretty ratty, and yeah. it was in the days before the three bottle shops, it was in the days before the pokies, it was local pubs that had the public bar most of them still had the old ladies bar that wasn't yeah, yeah. still the, 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 ladies, the ladies lounge, bar, in, the ladies lounge yeah. in the corner but it wasn't it was a little private bar you know very very different and suddenly you walked into this place that the, the brewing equipment was there so you knew it was a brewery but i remember being struck at the time that this is the future for pubs in australia because you had the outside areas it was the place that Families were welcome at, uh, you, you could sit there, you can have a beer, the food, the service, the culture, yeah, it, 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 even some of the little details that have been replicated, you know, ad nauseum by the, you know, the bookshelf that you could... Yep, the little exchange bookshelf. Uh, leave the, exchange yeah, book, yeah, you've got a good memory. Which, which were just little details, but they were part of the culture, but they actually masked something that was much more fundamental to what that place was and what people instinctively reacted to. Um, and that's where I'm you know, sort of curious. What was the thinking that created that vibe that I immediately responded to? Well, I think it's, again, the fundamentals of hospitality. So you want to create a really welcoming place that people feel comfortable uh, and welcome in and safe. Mm. And a lot of pubs didn't have that. And a lot of venues didn't. They were dark and dingy and small rooms. And I think Nick Trimboli particularly had a very strong belief on what was to be created there and I listened to that and was able to, I guess, execute it for the team and with a really um, really strong team that related to the culture. So it was big and open but yet we were providing a safe, welcoming environment with, with fundamentals there. There was lots of tables and chairs. We brought people down to be seated, mm. not just standing and swilling. Absolutely, we wanted to make it female-friendly because beer was a bloke's domain back then. Pubs were predominantly blokey sort of places and typically females weren't that comfortable 
you know, going into mm. those establishments, particularly by themselves. And so we needed to create an environment that was very, and we used to call it inclusive. Mm-hmm. We wanted somewhere that was the opposite of exclusive. So you, anybody could feel welcome in there. And, the, and the, the other great thing that particularly I think was part of Little Creatures' success was not just the architecture or the aesthetics or the design, but it was actually Fremantle itself. And Frio, for everyone that has been to Perth and travelled, Frio is Perth's little microcosm of great community, um, free thinking. If there's a protest in WA, it'll start in Frio. Okay. Everyone's very vocal, everyone has an opinion and everyone is very self-assured, which I love. So, mm. you know, we get all walks of life in Frio and you're free to be who you want to be in Frio. Okay. And so that had a lot to do with it. We, we drew our staff from Fremantle, from the local community. Um, we got rid of uniforms. So we didn't prescribe to staff how they had to wear, uh, how, how they had to look or, or be. Um, but it was always just about the fundamentals. And our clientele, we went deliberately after a local clientele to begin with. We weren't dreaming to become a tourist destination. Mm. That, if that happened and it did, that was a bonus. But first and foremost, it was about community and taking that nostalgia that breweries were always a big part and through Germany particularly were always part of the village community it was where you gathered and talked and socialized and you know important things happened Mm. at the brewery the the village brewery and we kind of wanted to replicate that fundamental but just wrap it up in a completely different um, skin having that vision for what you want and getting there are two very very different things and you know to have a relaxed easygoing environment i mean how many meetings and whiteboards and you know planning sessions and and how do you actually go from the concept of the vibe you want to create to actually creating that vibe oh that's the goal that's you know that's the gold isn't it that's the lightning in a bottle yeah exactly how do you do that and and I think we had a really great team uh, amongst us. We had a really great foundation team, obviously, with Phil leading the beer and Nick and Howard uh, driving the brand and the marketing um, that gave um, the foundations to it. But there also there was the freedom for us as a team to be able to take that and, and run with it a little bit. And, um, and Fremantle really gave license to be able to, to execute a lot of that. And the market kind of got it to begin with too. So... Uh, you know, the beer was, we were talking about thinking and drinking beer, uh, opening the first time that someone had a Little Creatures Pale Ale, for example, mm. back in 2000, 22 years ago. I love the moment that you just knew that it was the first, if it was the f- first time that someone had had that style of beer, there was just this moment of stop after they had tasted it and this pondering look on their <laughs> face. And literally people were asking themselves, do I like it or not? Yes. You know? And that was your quandary within yourself. Am yeah. I capable of liking this or not? Yeah. And, and so we used to talk about, you know, our, um, open up a little remains one of the slogans of Little Creatures. Yeah. But it was about opening up your mind um, and not just doing things because the way that they've always been done. And that was also about consuming beer, but it was also about doing hospitality. So we tried different things. We experimented and, and, uh, and I think we had a great venue to be able to do that and we had a really good group of owners that allowed us to do that too i i I guess i am asking you to describe the impossible you know if somebody's opening a a brewery today how do you you know how do you train how how do you bring even something as simple as staff along with that journey of you know vision is there anything that are just the fundamentals of the new staff 
showing them what you want to achieve. I think you've got to be clear in what it is that you want to achieve and what you're trying to achieve. And I think it's your vision. If you're sat, if you're setting up a hospitality venue, uh, and particularly for staff, they want to know what that vision is. They want to know what the core um, foundations of that business are going to be. What's the rails that you're going to stick on? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what is the essence of the feel, the vibe, the music, the lighting, the decor, the style of service that you're going to do? And all those things have to tie in together. So it's not too difficult. Most places do much the same, but it's it's just how you can get everybody on the same page and believe in it. And when you've got a great product like a great beer that everyone believes in too and everyone's right behind it, then it becomes mm. a lot easier. When Little Creatures started, there was just three beers um, on tap. So one was being bottled and that was Pale Ale. Yep. Um, then there was a beer that was called Bright at that stage. Pale Ale was called Live. Yep. There was a beer that was called Bright, which is halfway between what Rogers is now and what Bright is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a light golden ale, I yep. suppose. And there was a Pilsner mm-hmm. uh, because a pub had to have a lager, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had to have a beer for those that just couldn't drink anything other than what they were used to. So yep. that's what that... And, and so there was only three products there. And so it was very, very centred, particularly on live, on that pale ale. Live became pale ale because when we bottled it and trying to sell it in the market, number one, no one knew what a pale ale was. And so to sell something called a live was just even more difficult. Yeah. So we had to strip it back to what it was and educate the market to that. So, you know, if you're opening a hospitality venue today, I think it's really important to have a vision and a clear one that you can articulate to your staff and one that then translates to the customers and the customers get. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Hi, everyone. This is Matt. We're breaking into this podcast for a word from our sponsor, as we like to say, but not just any sponsor. As you know, at Brews News, we're very selective who we work with. And this is a special partnership with Lark Whiskey, which is soon to release the fifth incarnation of its collaboration with Wolf of the Willows Brewery. In this annual exchange of ideas and whiskey barrels between Lark and Wolf, Lark hand-selects whiskey casks and sends them to the Victorian-based brewery, who fills them with Imperial Johnny Smoke Porter. Before it is decanted, and the now beer-infused casks are filled with single malt whiskey. Hang around at the end of this podcast to hear my chat with Chris Thompson, master distiller at Lark, and how he discusses the collaboration. But here's a bit of a teaser that actually comes from my preliminary chat with Chris, who gives me some surprising insights when I ask him what beer should do to become a little bit more like whiskey in the consumer's mind. Beer shouldn't try and be like whiskey. Whiskey should try and be like beer. The rituals involved with beer are integrated into society. They're not pretentious and they add so much. At Lark, we are trying to be more like beer, more democratic, more open and more welcoming to to new drinkers. Traditionally, that's not what whiskey has been. Beer shouldn't be trying to be a more serious drink. It should be a fun but complex and continue to add to society. Now, that definitely was not the answer I was expecting. And if you enjoyed that, please hang around at the end of this podcast to hear more about Chris's approach to whiskey in this bonus chat. It's a really fascinating insight into the partnership between beer and whiskey. One of the things that fascinates me about that is so 
you know, people get very secretive um, about sharing, you know, and I always say that, you know, you can have a cookbook from a celebrity chef and yeah. it doesn't make you Heston. You know, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. they can spell it out for you <laughs> and you can't do it. And Little Creatures is one of those examples of that to me because we've seen so many venues open with the aesthetic, the physical aesthetic of a big open warehouse with the brew tanks in there. And to them, it's the aesthetic and the beer. But that's, to me, not hospitality. That's a little bit like a restaurant going, we're a kitchen um, yeah. and we're tables, not a restaurant. Well, we Little Creatures had two distinct um, businesses. Uh, one was the brewing business and mm. selling beer and the other was hospitality. Mm. And I think if you're going to start a brewery today, that's cool. You can come up with the best beer in the world. But if you want to have a cellar door or a pub or... Uh, a restaurant, a part of that, you have to then treat that as if you're going to open a standalone hospitality venue because you can't just rely on great beer. Mm. Um, what is clear that food is a real driver for people. People go out to eat. Yes, they go out to socialise, but in essence, they want to eat something. So you've got to be good at food. And if the food's no good, they're not going to come back because that's a core purpose of going out is to sustain yourself with food. Mm. So if you can't deliver good food, then... Great beer is only going to get you so far. So you need to be really serious about hospitality uh, and all elements of that. So, yes, the food, the kitchen, how you're preparing the food, the style to the venue, does your food match the venue? That, you know, sounds simple, but um, to execute that, actually, there's lots of conversations to be had. Like you said, at Little Creatures, there was plenty of times around the whiteboard and just looking at yourself and... In any hospitality venue that you do, you've got to do that constantly because it's not a case of opening the doors and there's the idea. Well, yeah, you've got to massage that and work with your market and be true to yourself but then recognise what the market's doing around you as well. But I still see so many venues that, you know, it's about the beer and for them, you know, well, we make good beer, we'll create a you know funky venue and then we'll just get some people in who can open a tap handle and you know maybe know a little bit about beer and think that's what hospitality is and you i I see so many places that it's just a place that's about beer and it's not even about serving beer which is a real difference from the consumer's experience with the venue yeah well you're i always uh, hospitality it's a bit like going into someone's home Mm. so you go into someone's house they're going to welcome you at the door they're going to make sure you're comfortable they're going to sit you around they'll probably show you around a little bit too they'll explain how things work and and then guide you all the way through to the time to leave then they'll show you to the door <laughs> like, flicking the lights on yeah <laughs> so it's not just about opening the door and you know you actually have to take i hate this word but take people on a bit of a journey yeah um and take them along for your ride and and help them so some people don't need any help and some some others might need a bit more but um, yeah, it, it's funny, you know, you open a funky venue. Well, what's a funky venue? So what, are, what, what creates a funky venue? So you've got to think deeply about um, hospitality hmm. um, and look deeply, and I, I've said it quite a few times, but at those fundamentals. And, you know, yes, I studied uh, in a really high-end sort of environment, but those fundamentals, as I said before, need to be translated into the simplest of venues and it's how you skin them and how you provide them to a consumer but there's a, a series of tick boxes if you like that you kind of have to make sure you're doing uh, and the number one thing is put yourself in the consumer 
or the customer's point of view as well. And what do you look for when you go out and what are you getting in your own venue if you've got one? Yeah. You spend a lot of time visiting venues, I'd imagine, and without calling anyone out, are there any just consistent mistakes you see small brew pubs, you know, beer-focused venues um, that have a, a brewery on site just doing over and over and over again? I think comfort is a big thing. So um, I hear you, Matt, say a lot, a couple of mates opening a, a brewery in a garage, yeah. you know. Yeah, you can open a brewery in a garage, but you've got to have some comfort. Mm. Yeah, what are the comfort elements that customers look for when they're going out? So music and lights are two big things for me. Breweries can be too bright. You can be too dark at the same time. Mm. But there's a there's a level where people feel comfortable and they sort of forget the everyday and... And I think that's another reason why you go out is you're removing yourself from every day and you want to be taken into this little world for a moment and escape. And if someone's doing that with great beer and great food, that's terrific. But it's the environment that needs to let your mind go and you forget about your worries of the world. And for a little while, you're just having this magical experience in this environment. So comfort needs to be definitely there. So that allows you not to worry. If you're sitting there uncomfortably or you're worried about, you know, the cleanliness or things around you then you're never going to let yourself escape it's a little bit idiosyncratic to me on one level because i'm deaf in one ear so i struggle to hear in anyway but because of that i immediately walk into some venues and go wow i I can actually have a conversation there is music but you can still talk at a normal level and, and be heard and not strain and you just see so many places where people are just craning in to We're try and have a conversation. We're getting a bit old, Matt. We're getting a bit old. Well, no, and, 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 <laughs> look, as I said, it's a little bit idiosyncratic to me and I'm probably much more aware of it. But then whenever I talk about it, you know, it, it's whether it's my 20-year-old daughter or, yeah. or people, yeah. you know, I, I think you're much That's more That's the comfort forgiving. level I'm talking about yeah. in a way. So, I mean, look, I, I, I'm forever telling my guys in my venues, turn the music up, turn the lights down. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I need glasses to read all my menus now and I can't read them because it's yes. too dark. But Well, we've uh, all got torches on our phone and it's just, you're, you're walking I'm one in, of them now. Yeah. But, but yes, there's, there's a point where the level, I, I can't stand music that's too low. You know, that music that you can, can you hear it or can't you hear mm, it? Yeah. And then to me, a venue's dead without music. Yeah. But at the same time, absolutely, I recognise you can have music too loud and it's but to the crowd. Having the music, trim. it's not just having the one big speaker at that end no. of the room, one big speaker at the other the end trick, of the room. The trick to music is lots of speakers yep. spread evenly across the room so you can distribute music at a level that everyone can hear it. It can be very ambient, but you can still have a conversation. What other comfort things are there? Because with comfort, you're not just sort of saying a cushion on a chair. No, you're no. talking about the feel of a venue? Yeah, feel of a venue. So, it, well, I mean... it. Is it warm? Is it cold? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of places can be freezing. Big brewery sheds, very hard to get comfortable. But it's it, it it's the clientele, it's the staff. Do they make you feel warm? It's like going into someone's house. If they're warm and greet you and look after you and make sure you're okay, you feel comfortable. If you're kind of ignored and left to your own devices, then you feel a bit exposed. Mm. So it, it's that sort of, that level of, do I feel like I'm being looked after here? And that doesn't have to be fine dining service it's just um just being made sure that as a customer you're you're being recognized and if you need something someone there is is there to help you i I love there's um what what's the what's the burger place on uh in sydney um that just cranks music 
Is it Mary's? Have you been? I don't in? know it. No. Anyway, there's a place called Mary's in Sydney, which is in an old church, and they just crank music, and you go in there. Like, I'm in my late forties. I feel really, really old <laughs> when I go there. It's full of young punks, um, and you think, gee. I'm not going to get good service here. And they do fried chicken and burgers on yep. this mezzanine level upstairs. But I'll tell you what, they have the fundamentals of hospitality because they look after you. They recognize that you might not fit in, but they're still going to look after you just the same. They don't care who you are. They just want to give you a good time. And that's prime example of this place where you could come in and not feel comfortable because you feel exposed because it might not be what, you know, a 48-year-old bloke <laughs> should be going to <laughs> yeah. anymore. But... They just know great hospitality. They're, they're true to what they're doing. They've got their style. You instantly know what the place is all about, but they look after you. And, uh, and that, you know, that gives you that sense of comfort. Do you think the, you know, that, that, that warehouse aesthetic has had its day? Should we, should we be looking at something else um, as, a, as an aesthetic for brew pubs? It's funny, really, because, I mean, there's nothing to say what a brewery should be or shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I think naturally a brewery needs a bit of space. Um, I get a bit funny about brew pubs personally. I think, are you a pub or a brewery? And a, a pub that puts a little brewery in is still a pub in my mind. Yep. Just the fact that you brew some beer, that doesn't make you a brewery. I think if you're in, in a pub and you've just got some room out the back that has a little brewery, you're a pub. Um, I guess so. why a lot of people go to a warehouse is to make it feel like a brewery rather than a pub or a restaurant that happens to have some tanks in the corner somewhere. So uh, I think it's what you do with it. Yeah, it's done, but it's to me about, well, are you providing food? What's the atmosphere? What's the furniture? You can change it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't think they're done. I think warehouses still provide great venues Mm -hmm. uh, because you've got space and you can do lots of things in there and it's how you fill it. Uh, and, And I think that... I think you do need to try and develop a culture that translates through the aesthetic and furniture that you put in rather than just letting the warehouse be the aesthetic. Okay. So yep. I, I think you have to do more today um, than just put a couple of old couches in a in a shed. The so-called dude food, you know, sliders, wings, you know, that sort of food that we would, that has been a craft beer staple. You know, it's it's easy to, um, it was popular. It's hard to do badly, yeah. um, hard to do well um, as well. But, you know, should we be moving on from that a little bit as well? Well, then it, it's up to the brewery, I guess, what they want to be known for. Yeah. I think we have evolved from that. I think the days of just bearded dude food, beer drinking, craft beer, snobs, I think we've evolved a mm. lot from that. And I think we're seeing a lot of venues now do different type of food and it doesn't just have to be sliders and wings. It, let, let's elevate it a little yep. bit. And, of course, you don't have to be so serious as the Red Oak was back in the day, mm-hmm. but I think you do need to be a bit more serious about food and put a bit of thought to it. Just downstairs here at uh, Gage Roads, uh, yep. I had two they, – they, they were almost sliders in, in, in that they were these mini rolls, but they were lobster rolls, lobster, yeah. lovely spicy sauce um, – and so it, it was, yeah. Well, this is a great example. I mean, yes, the, Gage is a massive big it's a warehouse. It was a very old warehouse, but um, it's how you fill it. And I think Gage has done a great job in taking the food element as serious as the beer. And they've got a couple of great chefs that have tried to bring in 
in a casual way. So yeah, I was going to say, but it's still very casual. In a role. Yeah. You don't have to feel dressed up to, to enjoy that. You can come in in your shorts and T-shirt and no worries mm. about what you look like. But you're having that. It's great food. Yeah. Done really, really well. Um, but I guess that's to their culture. It's WA lobster. We're right on the water here at Gage. So it all, you know, everything ties around this reason for being. And uh, that makes perfect sense in this environment. There was a, a an example, and I, I, I won't name the venue, but there was a, a venue that they didn't want to have a kitchen because the, the the cost of a kitchen, but they still wanted to have nice food, and, yeah. you know, cheese, you know, ploughman's lunches, and you know those sorts of things. Um, and one of the things that they wanted to do was seafood because you don't need to; it, it's a plating more than a cooking um, thing. And so you could buy a really nice bucket of prawns, um, have some really fresh prawns, some bread, some lemon, yep. and have it with beer. And a food writer who, who, who reviewed it, so I said, look, really nice venue, the beers are good. But when you order the prawns, they bring out a bucket of prawns and they don't give you the bowl to put your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, what's your yeah, fingers yeah, in? Yeah. And so it was this review that was really good. She said, you know, that's just hospitality 101. And you sort of think, well, you know, very, you know point, a good point well made. Six months later, you went in and they still hadn't fixed it. And there was just part of me that's sort of thinking... Well, that's a comfort level that I'm talking yeah. about. So it was such if, an easy yeah. thing to fix, yeah. and it's been pointed out to you. Well, I think you've just got to be a customer in your venue for a moment, yeah. You know, and not just for one moment, but tomorrow and the next day, and just keep asking yourself: Is if you sat down, this to me is the fundamentals of hospitality. Just put yourself in the customer's point of view, as a waiter or an owner. Then, what what's the next thing that the customer needs? Or you've just had this sloppy uh, meal. And you've got prawn juice all over you. What are you going to do with that? And, and she actually described having to walk through with her hands yeah, lo- yeah. looking like a surgeon. Yeah. You, know, after- and you can do that in a cool way that's still true to your aesthetic. Yeah. But there's nothing daggy about looking after your customers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Any other classic mistakes that you see people or is there anything that you're seeing that people are doing really well, you know, venues are doing really, really well these days? Oh, I think um, I think the understanding of um, beer line cleanliness, glassware, um, it has come a long way as well. Where Instagram's made a big had a big <laughs> impact on the cleanliness of glassware. I think yeah, you know yeah, the, think, the, the dirty glass photo. Yeah, well, that's right. Just just make great beer, but then also take pride in how you serve it and the the system that you're using to do it, uh, and make sure that 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 is delivering the beer in the best possible way. Mm. I think that that's really important. So you're seeing that much better now. You go into a brewery and they're investing in a good beer system and working with some professionals to deliver it in a proper way. This may not be a national issue, and I know that Victoria particularly has much smaller you know, local pubs than, say, Queensland. And I think WA does have... Oh, we hardly had any pubs left over here. Yeah. and, and Classic old pubs anyway. Licensing laws, you know, pokies in Queensland, yep. the, the advent of bottle shops has seen what was once the small local pub that was part of the community that you could take your kids to. The kids would have a pink lemonade and a packet of chips while mum and dad, you know, sat around the picnic tables with friends having a beer on you yep. know, in the beer garden. That's gone. Um, and a lot of them have become pokies. And so it's cheap beer, cheap food to get people and to lose money on the pokies. Yeah. And then the kids' room is a hermetically sealed yeah. Um, yeah. games room, you know, where kids are playing on screens. And it's the complete antithesis of the social local pub that it once was. And to my way of thinking, that has created a huge opportunity when you walk into a brew pub 
that is a factory for making beer, but then they have this different motivation and approach to selling it. You know, it's not cheap to get people to lose money on the pokies. It's actually to engage their local community. There's a lot more pride in, and well, yeah, I I 100% agree. And I, I think there should be more. And I'd love to see, you know, we were talking a while ago um, and that there was no better time to be a craft beer drinker than probably in the 1880s, 1890s, where every suburb basically of Sydney and Melbourne had a little brewery in it. Mm. And we're finally sort of coming back to that uh, at long last after, you know, the decline in the 1900s. Um, and we're back into, you know, amazing growth in, in breweries. And, you know, it's interesting. We're here at Gage Roads. Well, Gage until recently, until it opened this place, would have been one of the few breweries that actually didn't have a place that you could go to and have a beer at. Mm. Uh, and you wouldn't dream probably now and any young beer drinker wouldn't think of a brewery not having a place that you can go and drink at. Mm. So I, I, I think it's fantastic and hyper-local. Yeah, there's still lots of room to be a little local brewery that services your community, that takes the place of that pub. We don't have that problem in WA because pokies don't exist. And yep. One of the reasons why we don't have pubs, and you know, it's a good or a bad thing, I'm not sure. Well, but you, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but there are other ways you can save the pub without killing them with pokey well, our, our pubs are all medical centers or offices now unfortunately <laughs> okay. they're, they're still there physically but they're long gone from a from a place but we're now seeing breweries come in and take those places yep. and they are great places um despite being a brewery and going back 20 odd years ago mm. you would have laughed if you said oh, i'm taking my kids to a brewery but now it is you take the family can go to a brewery and i think there's an acceptance that you know, they're great places that generally um, are very caring environments, very open environments. You know, they're not too serious. They're comfortable. Kids can run around. But if it's truly part of the community and locally owned, then the people generally that are behind the bar probably own it or are there. And there's hands-on ownership, which translates, you know, beyond a, a multinational pub with pokies and a awful kids room that is yeah you don't want to send your kid into Mm. and i guess that then comes down to the economics of it is that what you can be is limited by what you're willing to give up or change you know in in terms of growth you know like a bigger venue has to make different decisions than a small family-owned venue you know where yeah a a big busy venue is much easier to run than a small quiet venue Mm -hmm. because you know revenue hides mistakes yes but uh, for sure, and it's not to say that you're going to be a, a local corner brewery that you have to be small. Mm. I think scale okay. is important, and that's something if you're opening up, and that that's a that's an issue too. I think for hospitality, um, quite often the hospitality component of a brewery is just not on a scale that's ever really going to generate enough money to either wash its face or contribute positively to the business. Mm big component of the success of Little Creatures was the hospitality component on its own was a successful business that contributed financially, not only, but in the brand as well, positively to the business. So you've got a positive brand experience, but there was also the underlying financial ability for uh, that to contribute back to the brewery to help support the brewing business. So, you know, do it well. And I think a lot of venues are realizing this, it can become a really great cash flow to underwrite your uh, brewery business if you're in the business to go and sell beer because we know that putting salespeople on the road hugely costly but you've got to have a hospitality component of your business that's going to generate substantial or significant amount of revenue to be able to do that um, 
the smaller the venue, the harder it is, and yeah, yeah, the, the financial constraints become more of a burden, I suppose. We're going to run out of time for for, for this chat, but I will. I, I do want to talk about what you're up to now because you've got your own. Having worked for others, you've got your own uh, little hospitality group of uh, three venues yep. in 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 Perth. Tell yep. us about your approach to your own hospitality now. Uh, well, again, it just goes back to my fundamentals. So I've got three um, very different venues. Um, each, well, I've got a pub, uh, I've got a craft beer bar, and I've got a small wine bar. You're welcome to name them. Uh, uh, yeah. So Quarter Acre, <laughs> uh, Ruin Bar is the craft beer bar, and Jetty Bar and Eats, which is my little wine bar on the river down in Frio. And each of those are fundamentally very different, but underneath the skin is um, they're all run in the same way and making sure that we're just ticking those levels of comfort for our customers, thinking about our customers and ensuring that we, we sort of run the business in the right way. So that, that, that's happening and um, we're about to start a, a, a brewery down in Dunsborough actually too. Okay. A brew pub. Not, a brew pub, okay. Yeah, we're not going to do... Um, a label. We're going to have a uh, a brewery with a pub and a good beer garden, right in town of Dunsborough, which is the tip, the northern sort of of the Margaret River of the Margaret River yep. region. So lots of great breweries down in that area that we're going to be amongst. Um, but we're going to be right in town, so we can open uh, in the evening as well, and people can walk home and ride their bike, which is great. So okay, well, we'll delivering have to put that, that on our radar. Village brewery, Matt. Which, well, I look yeah. forward. I look forward to seeing Miles Hull's interpretation of a village brewery. So, what's the opening date for that? So I know when I have to come uh, back. It'll be early. Well, at the end of this year, early next year, okay. 20, end of twenty two, early twenty three. Right. Well, I, I always look forward to an excuse to get back to WA, and that will be my excuse yeah. to get back next time. Yeah, so, uh, we can do it over a beer. I would love to. Uh, well, Miles Hull, thank you very much for this conversation about hospitality in beer and Pleasure, uh, and all of the beers that you've uh, sort of poured well over the years. <laughs> thank you. And that was Miles Hull. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the beer internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, just search for Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by, well, just look in the show notes. You'll find out how you can sponsor the show as an individual, maybe throw us a few dollars a week or even a month. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service, and that really does help other people find us. Or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts and even ideas for guests that you would like to hear from. Thanks very much, and don't forget we'll be back next week with Brews News Week. Thanks for listening to that conversation. Now, here's a little bonus for you. As I hear from Lark Distilling's master distiller, Chris Thompson, who tells me a little bit more about Lark's collaboration with brewer Wolf of the Willows. I asked Chris, what is it about this whiskey and beer that really works for him? Firstly, let's start about what's amazing about this collaboration in terms of the liquid. The liquid that we take is completely polar opposite to a Johnny Smoke Porter. So the whiskey component is this bright, fun, fruity, tropical piece, right? And then the beer's like this dark, heavy, velvety, incredibly thick, viscous 
you know, it's got bitter and it also has has sweet that play off each other. So that's the beer. And when you bring them together, then what happens is the, the whiskey is kind of like a, a prism. So you think Pink Floyd for me. You have the prism and the, the beer shines through it. But what, the, what it does, by adding extra brightness, uh, lift and alcohol to the beer, it separates the beer out. And then you can see every single component that made that beer. When we're making the whiskey, in our mind, what we're trying to do is showcase the beer in a different way. Now, the Johnny Smoke Port is such a complex and rich beer, but with the alcohol of the of the whiskey coming through it, then you can see each of those each of those components. That's the magic of this this whiskey, um, and the magic of the, the collaboration. Like in all seriousness, being a whiskey nut for fifteen plus years now, there is not a single whiskey on the planet that looks like this. It does everything that you would expect a whiskey to do but in a completely different way um and it's yeah it's like it's exhilarating it's exciting like no other whiskey yeah it was probably it's my favorite whiskey to make every year because of that so as a distiller with 15 years experience what has chris learned from his experience in partnering with a brewer yeah probably that i'm a bit dumb so i've I started off and was like no nah, this isn't going to work there's no chance that i'll you know this whole thing, I was so skeptical. And then we went through sort of one, so we sort of take different casks that look a bit different and we'd mix it with the beer and be like, what does it taste like? Oh, it doesn't taste very good. And we did that about seventh time, where it was actually the very last whiskey um, sort of representation of the portfolio of what our casks have that we tried that it was like, oh, wow, that's like incredible. We have to do this. And at that point, I don't even think I'd spoken to Scotty. I think um, one of my outsiders, Johnny, had been speaking to, to Scotty about it and I called Scott. I was like, we've got to do this thing. I'm excited now. So um, what I learned was that I don't know what I'm talking about, at least five years ago. Don't trust your instincts and try everything. Um, and then from there, there, what we try to do each year is provide the same backbone of flavour, um, but do it in a slightly different way. So if Chris was surprised that this collaboration could work, how has that changed over the course of five iterations of this whiskey? You know, Wolf Number One was just about um, a pure expression of balance. Wolf Number Two was um, trying to provide the most of this sort of prism experience with the the beer shining through and just showcasing. The third one was about excess. Absolutely, there should be too much of everything going on all of the time. It was just this outrageous over-the-top thing. The Wolf Number 4, which is my favourite, it's actually my favourite whisky um, that we've done in my 15 years. So, you know, 500,000 whiskies that I've blended. Um, that's my number one. I've got three bottles at home and they seem to go, it used to be four bottles. So mm-hmm. that's probably a, it's probably a pretty good sign. Wolf Number 4 was, to me, just this balanced experience that just, it just showcased everything that was great in the beer and just it was just a little piece of um, exhilaration. It's just every time I try it, I just can't believe how much is going on in that, uh, how easily you can see every component of the beer, but also the whiskey, but it's only flashes really quickly as it moves on to the next experience, I suppose, the next flavor. And then this year, this year is the one with the most beer in it. So usually what would happen is that we'd fill the casks all the way up with the whiskey to soak the beer out. But we haven't done that this year. We've actually only sort of 60% filled them. So the ratio of beer to whiskey is way higher. And so this year, the, the beer sits as this kind of solid block 
within the whiskey and it just showcases it in a completely different way, which is which is really magical. And then if you add water to the whiskey, which sort of changes the surface tension, then it just erupts and launches out, which is just, yeah, there's no whiskey like it on the planet. And it's just, as you can tell, I get pretty excited. Finally, with so much detail already provided, I asked Chris just how this whiskey is made. In terms of making this thing, there's this like horrific logistics thing that you've got to go through. So we send barrels of whiskey or, or barrels that have held classic cask, which is one of, I think it's the most popular Australian whiskey ever sold, I think. So it's like, it's our one of our flagships and it's just, yeah, if you haven't tried it, definitely try it. It's pretty cool. So these are export and sherry whiskey um, barrels, mostly from Sebelsfield Winery and mostly the wood for those will be at least 100 years old. So they would have held wine in it and then they've held fortified either a sherry or a port in it for, you know, 60, 70 years, probably refilled a couple of times, sort of, you know, through its period. But, yeah, generally generally around 100 year old um, in terms of when it was chopped down as a tree. We get those, we fill it full of our whiskey, then we empty our whiskey out, send them straight up to Melbourne to um, to Wolf, to, to Scotty. Scotty puts the beer in it, so it soaks out all this kind of porty, sherry, sweet um, whiskies, um, raises the ABV. But then we have an issue because if if Scotty just empties the barrels out and then sticks the buns back in and shoot, ships them back to us in Tassie, then the chance of oxidisation, the chances of the beer changing in a really negative way, you know, infection as well, are really high. And so the good thing about the product that we make being, you know, 60 plus percent is it freezes that that process. It freezes that, you know, those changes in the barrel. And so, yeah, what we actually do is we ship the whiskey up. So we'll blend the whiskey against what last year's um, beer was, get a pretty good idea of what it should be. And then what we'll do is we'll ship the whiskey up to, to Scotty to put in the beer barrels. And so they'll empty the barrels and within 20 seconds of that barrel being empty, there's whiskey going into that barrel. Um, and so you freeze and you capture the pure essence of that amazing beer, which is pain in the ass, to be honest, but it's, a, it's the right thing to do. It's what makes the whiskey so good. So that's a little bit about Lark's Wolf Release 5 launching on August 8 this year. I know I'm looking out for this one. Watch out for a few more chats about beer and whiskey in the coming weeks, including a chat with Scott from Wolf of the Willows. 